I want to talk about old cars, right? Specifically, I want to talk about old family cars, right? Do we remember that old family car that we had in our families? So in my family, in the mid-1990s, my dad bought my mom a 1993 red Toyota Corolla, right? I think, I think we have a photo here of a 1993 red Toyota Corolla. Now, in full honesty, this is a, a, like a Google image, red 1993 Toyota Corolla, right? Because we were not able to find an image of an actual family car. But we all, we all know old cars, right? Because like we have, to, we have to crank that, right? We have to crank the window. Like there was no power windows. So somebody comes up, you know, to talk to you and you're like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, and then you have to like crank it back up uh, whenever you're done, right? So the non-automatic locks as you're driving, you know, then you're as everybody gets out of the car, you're like, hey, lock your door, lock your door, lock your door, lock your door, right? Non-automatic locks, you know, the, the paint is chipped up, chipped a little bit, you know, as you're driving up, you start chugging along, like, chug, 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 pup, 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 right? That we all know this old car, right? And the tape player, right? A tape player, like there's no CD player, the tape player. So my mom, my mom drove it for eight years until she got her mom car, right? Mom car, an SUV, right, to lug us kids around. And at that point, my dad drove the car, right? So it went from my mom's car, now it's my dad's car. And then about a year later, my older sister turned 16. She got her license and her first car, Yep, the 1993 red Toyota Corolla, and my sister is kind of funny, so ironically, she named the car Speedy, right? Because, because it was everything, it was everything but Speedy, right? So, <laughs> so three years later, three years later, I turned 16, and I finally got my license, but guess what? I got a brand new, I'm just kidding, I also got, got Speedy, right? That was my first car, my first car, right? See, but the story... This story is not about my first car. It's actually about my second car. See, about my second car. Because at this point, Speedy, Speedy's getting a little old, right? It's been in the family for a long time now. Speedy's getting a little old. And my parents, you know, they were loving and caring. And I was about to go off to college about three and a half hours away. So they wanted to make sure I had a safe and reliable car. You know, mostly my mom, you know, just wanted to make sure that I, her little boy was safe. So... Uh, they told me, Isaac, we're going to get you a new car. And imagine my reaction when I found out that I was getting a new car. So I went online and I researched and I researched and I decided that I wanted a Mitsubishi Lancer, right? This nice bro car, right? So my dad and I went shopping and sure enough, I got to drive home in a brand new car. And I think we have uh, the keys. So this is actually a true, true picture. This is a uh, eight, 18-year-old Isaac uh, with, uh, with my dad there uh, and my 2008 Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi Lancer. So guess what? I didn't, I didn't have to crank the windows anymore, right? This car was amazing. Like it had keyless entry. Like I, my keys like never left my pocket. I just like put my hand on the door and it just opened. And then I got in and I just turned on the car. It was, it was amazing, right? And it had, there was no more tape player. It had an auxiliary cord for my iPhone 3G right? Yeah, shout out iPhone 3G. Uh, and as we can see, this gorgeous, gorgeous blue color. And people would compliment my car all the time. And it was awesome. And the joy on my parents' face, uh, like when they gifted me with a brand new 
car, right? And as you can see, Speedy, Speedy's still in the family. You can see it way in the back there. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's Speedy right there in the, in the back. <laughs> so the joy on my parents' face, right? We saw it on my dad's face. The joy on my parents' face whenever they gave me a new car, right? And I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine, I can only imagine what that feeling is like as a parent to give your child a gift, right? And see the, see the joy on their face. But the story really isn't about my second car either. <laughs> it's about me being an ungrateful little brat. <laughs> That's what this story is about. Because a month, a month after I had my brand new car, I realized what I really wanted was a new MacBook laptop for college, right? So they gave me a brand new car, and I wanted a brand new laptop for college, right? Because I felt like I deserved I earned a new laptop. So I, like, I started getting upset that my parents hadn't bought me a laptop yet, right? And school was about to start. Like, guys, what's taking you so long? I need a laptop for school. Like, what's going on here? And one particular conversation, not my best moment in life, one particular conversation, like I asked them, I asked them about this laptop that I deserved. And they said they couldn't afford it yet, right? So I told them, I told them, I wish you wouldn't have gotten me the car so I could have the laptop now. <sighs> so my question for us is, how are we to react when we're given something we don't deserve? My question for us today is, how are we to react when we're given something we don't deserve? So we're continuing in our Hey Jude series, and Jude answers this question for us. So I'm, I'm going to be very upfront with you tonight. Like, this is going to be a little bit of a tougher message, okay? This is going to be a little more difficult um, for me to talk through. That's going to be a little more difficult for, for us to process. Um, there may be some things that I say that may be a little, a little hard to hear. Um, but to be faithful to the text, we have to say uh, what Jude says. And this is part of the reason why we go um, expositorily through Jude, because we're not going to skip anything out, right? If it's in the Bible, we're going to talk about it together um, in love. So can I, can I just pray for us and pray for my time together tonight um, as we jump into Jude? So God, um, God, thank you. Thank you for just being good. Um, thank you for being gracious, God, to us. Um, thank you for your son, Jesus, and for your spirit. God, so I just pray for all of us um, in this room together that, God, we can just hear uh, what you have to say. Um, so I just pray for the hearts in this room. Um, God, pray for me um, that I can just um, be faithful, um, God, to what you want me to say. So um, we love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. So the question again, how are we to react when we're given something we don't deserve. So the reason, the reason this is a weightier message is because Jude specifically tells us how some people react when they're given something they don't deserve. The reason this message is a little weightier is because Jude is going to speak of people and how they responded whenever they were given something that they didn't deserve. And as Jude is talking about people in his church, over 2,000 years ago, we can see the exact same thing happening in our church today. So let's jump in. Let's jump into Jude 4. Here we go. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. 
So from this text, we can see that some people respond very poorly to God's grace. Right? From this text, we can see that some people respond very poorly to God's grace. So what, what does a poor response to God's grace look like? So we have to look at what Jude says. He says, there are certain people that pervert grace into sensuality. There are certain people that pervert grace into sensuality. Or maybe, maybe your translation says it like this, um, turning grace into a license to live immorally. There are some people that, that turn grace into a license to live immorally, or another way to say that is uh, grace basically gives them some sort of permission to go live their life however they want to live. So, so here, here's how we pervert grace. Because if I were to say that all of us in this room, all of us in this room, are incredibly sinful people who do bad things and who deserve to be punished, if I were to say that, um, that we all deserve punishment for harm that we've caused others and evil that we contribute to on a regular basis. If I were to say that, that we're all sinful, some of us would respond, bro, I'm not that bad. Like, I, I, Isaac, I see what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And yeah, like, I, there are some people like that, but that's not me. Like, I'm, I'm not the person that you're talking to or talking about, right? Some of us would respond that way because we would say, Isaac, I've never, I've never killed anybody. I'm not out kicking little kids, right? Like, we can laugh. That was, okay. Because <laughs> like, can I laugh? Can I not laugh? We, we, can, we can laugh. So that's how, that's how some of us would respond. But when we start saying that, we start playing the sin comparison game, right? When we start saying, I'm not that bad, we start playing the sin comparison game. And here's, here's how you play. Like, maybe you've played this game before. Here's how you play. Because a murderer would say, hey, at least I'm not Hitler, right? And then a sex trafficker would say, like, at least I've never murdered anybody. And then an adulterer would say, at least I'm not selling people on sex slavery, Right? And then a sex addict would say, at least I'm not cheating on anybody. And a pornographer would say, at least I'm not having real sex. You know, a, a lustful person fantasizing in their mind would say, at least I'm not looking at porn, right? A gossiper would say, at least I'm not lusting. Uh, an angry, unforgiving person would say, at least I'm not talking about people behind their back. An anxious person would say, hey, at least I'm not angry. See, and a prideful person points the finger with judgment and condemnation while saying, at least I'm not like those sinners. The sin comparison game is a game where everybody loses, right? The sin comparison game is a game where everybody loses. Guys, because here, here's the truth, is that we are all sinful. All of us are sinful. And we all deserve punishment and death right? We are all sinful, and we all deserve punishment and death. But God doesn't give us punishment or death, right? Because we're, we're still alive. I, I mean, I see you guys in this room, like we're, we're still alive, right? So instead, God gives us grace. So what, what is grace? Here, here's the definition for grace. It's, it's on the screen here, and it's in your handout. Grace is a free gift for an undeserving person. Grace is a free gift for an undeserving person, right? The gift 
is life. We don't deserve it, right? Because we deserve death, but instead we get grace. We get life. So a lot of us, a lot of us understand that, right? A lot of us grew up in church. A lot of us heard about this idea of grace, um, that grace is, is a free gift for an undeserving person. So, so for some of us in this room, we would then say, because we're using logic, so we would then say, well, hmm, if I get grace, and grace is a free gift, and it doesn't then matter what I do, because I can't earn grace, which is true, you can't earn grace, and God, if I can't earn grace, then God's going to give me grace no matter what, and if God's going to give me grace no matter what, then God's going to forgive me for anything that I do, so that means that I can do whatever I want to do, and then God's still going to be cool with it, right? That's how some of us, some of us think. And I don't know if we would ever say that, like, out loud or tell that to somebody. Maybe we would. I don't know. But uh, some of us, that, that's, how, that's how we think. That's the logic that we use. So here's, here's how this plays out in a couple ways. Here's how this plays out. Just one more time. Just one more time. Right? Because, you know, we, we feel convicted for sin and the things that we do, but then we think, well, I've already done this a lot before, so one more time, one more time's not going to hurt, right? What, what difference does one more time make in my life? I've done this so many times before, right? Like, I've gotten drunk so many times before. Like, what's, what's one more night out? Like, all my friends are going out. Like, I want to I wanna go hang out with them. Or, man, I've, I've had sex so many times before. Just what's, what's one more time? Like, they're going back out of town. I'm not going to see them. This is going to be the last time. And if not that, I mean, or else, um, you know, we're not having sex. We're just kind of messing around. So it's not, not as bad um, of a big deal. Or, you know, pornography. I've looked at porn so many times before. Um, w- one more time. Like, it's been a long day. I'm tired. Um, you know, binge eating, right? We just, we, we overeat, right? We don't um, use self-control with food. Gossiping, this person, they, you have no idea like what they did. Let, let me tell you what they did, right? And you've talked about this person so many times before and the people that you're talking to, they know exactly what's happening. So you just continually just talk behind someone else's back or anger. You think, man, I've already had so many angry outbursts at work or with family or friends. Like what's, what's one more blow up, right? So that's the just one more time. Or, or we use sin, second way, we use sin alternatives, right? We use sin alternatives or sin euphemisms, or we, we talk about sin in a way that doesn't sound quite as bad. So what do I mean by that? I mean, it's not sin. It's a hurt, a habit, or a hangup, right? It's a flop, failure, or fumble, right? It's an oopsie-daisy. It's a, it's a faith boo-boo, right? It's, it's a Christian owie right? It's, it's a moral oversight. We, we bounced a spiritual check, right? That's how some of us, some of us talk about sin, is we, we try to minimize it by using a sin alternative. But guys, if, if you willingly sin, knowing that you'll ask for forgiveness later, that God's grace will cover you, Jude has a hard truth for us, right? If, that's, if, if we willingly sin, if we knowing that we'll ask forgiveness later, that God's grace will cover us, Jude has a hard truth for us. Because Jude says, and we can see it in the text, we're denying Jesus. When we pervert grace and we give into sensuality, he says that we are denying our master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Right? So 
what do we what do we call people who deny Jesus? What do we call people who are not following Jesus? We call them non-Christians, right? That's what we call them. And, and hey, like we we love non-Christians. We do. Like we love non-Christians. We're going to serve non-Christians. We're going to lay our life down for non-Christian. Like if you are not a believer, not following Jesus here in this room, like we love you. We're so glad that we're here. But what I want to be careful, and I'm saying this in love to some of us in the room here, is I want to make sure that we're not um, being untrue with how we use the word Christian or Christ follower, right? It's a very, it's a very specific meaning. So if somebody is not following Jesus, then we're not going to say that they're following Jesus, right? And Jude, Jude would say that um, as well, right? Jude says that we are denying Jesus as master and Lord, which means we're not following Jesus. So Jude, in the text, is saying that, that we're, not, we're not following Jesus. We're not Christian. So I, I'm wondering... I'm wondering if it would be helpful to think of sin like this. I'm wondering if it would be helpful to think of sin like spiritual cancer. Sin is like spiritual cancer, right? So some of us in this room, like we've battled, or we're currently battling cancer, right? Some of us are. Like, and almost all of us in this room have a friend or family member, right, who, who's gone through cancer, right? That is... That is no fun. That is, that is a miserable experience for everyone who goes through it, right? But what if we treated cancer the way that some of us treat the sin in our lives, right? Like, what if we treated cancer that way? What if we were to say, oh, yeah, cancer, yeah, yeah, that's, I should, probably shouldn't have that, but, you know, I'm just going to go do whatever I continue doing, right? Or, like, I don't, I don't want to stop doing the things that I normally do, so I'll, I'll just manage it a little bit right? Like, ah, that that chemo and radiation (sighs) seems really inconvenient. Like, I don't, that seems pretty restrictive to the lifestyle that I want to live, right? Guys, we don't, we don't manage cancer. We kill cancer, right? We don't manage cancer. We kill cancer at all costs, right? If you ever talk to a cancer survivor, right? It doesn't matter the cost. We have to kill the disease, right? We kill the disease at all costs. And to some extent, some people have even removed body parts, right? That's, that's the extent that some people have gone through to remove cancer in their life. They've removed their own body parts for it, right? And that's how we need to think of sin as well. We don't manage sin. We kill sin. We don't manage sin. We kill sin. We kill sin before it kills us, right? We don't manage sin, we kill sin, and we kill sin before it kills us. So if, if that's a perverted view of grace, right, if just, just the one more time or, you know, softening the weight of sin or, you know, sin first, ask forgiveness later, or, or managing sin, if that's the unhealthy, perverted view of grace, what does, what does a healthy response to grace look like? right? If that's the perverted view of grace, what, what does a healthy response to grace look like? And here, here's the big idea. Here is the idea that, that we're working with, is that God's grace doesn't set us free to sin. It sets us free from sin, right? God's grace doesn't set us free to sin. It sets us free from sin. So a healthy response to grace is you have to hate sin, 
right? That's the healthy response to grace is you have to hate sin. You have to hate it. So do we, do we hate sin? Do we? Like how much, how much do we hate sin? Like a little bit? Like uh, we're okay with sin as long as it doesn't like mess up our life too much, right? How much do we hate sin? Because here's the truth is that God hates sin. God hates sin. God hates it because he hates what it does to human beings. God hates what sin does to the children that he loves. God hates it. God hates the separation that sin causes from him and his children, right? Because our sin separates us from a loving father. God hates sin. And you know what? You know what? We hate sin too. We really do. We hate sin too. Let me, let me show you. Because we hate what sin has done to us. We hate the effects of sin in our lives, right? We hate sinful things people have done to us. We hate what sin has done to our friends and family. We hate sin too, right? For example, sexual abuse of children for money is evil and sinful. Sexual abuse of children for money is evil and sinful. And we hate it, do we not? We hate it. We absolutely hate it. And God hates it too. And God hates it even more than we do. See, because we, we want to get rid of sex trafficking, but God, God wants to get rid of the roots, which is pride and lust, right? We want to get rid of sex trafficking, but God wants to get rid of the root cause, which is pride and lust in our hearts. See, in racism and genocide, we hate it. We hate racism. We hate mass destruction of people groups, right? We hate it. And God wants those things gone even more than we do, but he wants to do it by getting rid of pride and contempt and rage that's in our hearts, right? God hates it even more than we do. Guys, because this, this is the sin that is ruining our world. This is the sin that is ruining us, and we hate it. Do we not? We hate it. And God, God hates it so much that he wants to rid sin of the world. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome if there was no more human trafficking, there was no more genocide, there was no more racism, if there was no more evil and destruction here in this world? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? That's the world that we all want to live in, is it not? That would be fantastic. So we're saying like, all right, God, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready, God. Like, we want a world where there's no more sin. Like, we're ready. We're ready, God. Like, when is this going to happen? Do you see the problem, though? Because in order for God to rid the world of sin, he would have to rid the world of us. In order for God to rid the world of sin, he would have to rid the world of us because, because we are sinful, because we have sin inside of us, because we choose sins. That's what we do. But God doesn't do that, 
right? God doesn't get rid of us. He doesn't. He doesn't rid the world of me. Hey guys, my name is Isaac. I'm standing right here in front of you. I am sinful. I am. I'm prideful. I have, I have a very lustful heart. I care way too much what people think about me. I do, right? And I, I find my successes in my achievement, right? And I lie. I'm deceitful, right? So I, like, I am standing in front of you guys. I am sinful. I am a sinful person. Like, I, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be talking to you guys right now. I don't deserve to be speaking scripture, right? I, I don't deserve it. I, I don't, right? Like, I, I'm talking about God, like, with my sinful heart. Who am I? Like, like who am I? Who am I, right? Who am I that, that, that I don't deserve to be here? Like, I deserve nothing good, guys. Like, I, I deserve death. But God says, like, yeah, you do deserve death, right? Your sin deserves punishment. All of our sin deserves punishment. Like, we've brought harm and death and destruction. Like, we've, we've, dishonored, we've dishonored his daughters. We've dishonored his sons, right? That's, that's the evil that we contribute into this world. We've stolen, we've cheated, we've lied. And God wants to kill sin. He wants to kill the sin in this world, God. And he wants to, in our, God wants to kill sin, the sin that's in this world, and our sin that deserves death. But God, but God is gracious, right? God gives his free gift of grace to undeserving people, right? That's what God does, is that we deserve death, but God says, no, I'm giving you life, right? And that, that is grace. So what, what do I do? What do we do? How do we take steps to respond rightly to God's grace? How do we take steps to respond rightly to God's grace? This is number, number one. God's grace frees us to become aware of sin. God's grace frees us to become aware of sin. Like we need, we need to become aware of our sin, right? Like is, is there a part of our life that, that we don't want to openly share with everyone, especially mature Christian believers? Is there a part of our life that we don't want to openly share with everyone? especially mature Christian believers? Is there a part of our life that we don't think is wise uh, for your friend to do also, right? Or for our friend to do also, right? By that, I mean, is there maybe something that we're doing that we would say, like, yeah, like, I'm doing this, and it's kind of a gray area. Like, I probably shouldn't be doing this, but you, you definitely should not do this. But, you know, for me, like, yeah, it's not great, but, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just going to keep doing it anyway. Like, is there an area of our life that we don't think is wise for our friends um, to do also? Is there a part of our life that we don't think Jesus would do, right? Is there an area of our life that we don't think Jesus would do, right? This is, these are the questions that we ask. These, this is how we become aware of our sin because God's grace frees us to become aware of our sin. Number two, number two. God's grace frees us to confess sin. God's grace frees us to confess sin because we, we have to agree with God that we have sinned. 
that we have fallen short. So, so what areas of your life are in sin and you need to confess? Because confession, confession is a great thing. It really is. And I know when I say that, that some of us in this room are terrified, right? You're terrified at the idea of confession. And honestly, the most people that are terrified are the people that have probably been Christians for a long time, right? that have been following Jesus for a long time, that grew up in church because you learned all the right things to say, you learned all the right things to do, and you just feel guilty and shameful that you're not further along in your spiritual journey than you think you should be, right? So, and maybe you wanna let other people think that you're a little further along um, than you are, right? So, so whenever we think of confession and we think that we have to let other people in, like into our life and kind of expose some things that are going on, for some of us in the room, that terrifies us, right? See, in some of you, some of us, um, some of us have this overwhelming burden of secret sin. Some of us in this room have this overwhelming burden of secret sin, right? Because you think, we think that we're going to be judged as we confess to one another. Like, we, th- we think that because of our position or because of our family or because of however we're serving somewhere, um, that we think that we, we can't let other people in, right? So we just, f- and we keep it all on ourselves and we just have this overwhelming burden of secret sin. But guys, that's a lie from the enemy. That is a straight up lie, right? Because the enemy, the enemy is keeping you in shame. The enemy is the one that's bringing you condemnation, right? That's not what Jesus does. The enemy is bringing you condemnation and shame and guilt. Confession. Confession is a great thing because confession is what sets you free, right? As we agree with God, confession is what sets us free. Man, so if, if we've never confessed sin before, like you would be amazed. You would be amazed. You have, if you've never done it before, you would be amazed at the feeling of freedom that you have. And as you open up and people that still love you, and are not judging you, and want to walk with you, and want to see you thrive in your spiritual journey, it's an amazing feeling, guys. It's an amazing feeling. So a couple of practical tips on, uh, on how to confess. Um, so confess in detail to God out loud. Confess in detail to God out loud, right? And as the words just kind of sound ugly coming out of your mouth, that's, that's kind of how God feels about it too, right? So as we speak out loud in detail to God, the sin in our lives and confess, and as ugly as it sounds coming out of our mouth, um, that's, that's how God hears it as well. It's a good thing for us. Um, and in this too, confess generally to others. So confess in detail to God out loud and confess generally to others, also out loud, or else they would, would know what you're saying, right? <laughs> uh, confess generally to others, because n- not, not everybody needs to know the specifics, the, like the who, what, when, where, how, why, like you don't need to share every specific gory detail about things, but you should have people in your life that know generally what's going on, right? That you trust, that you can be open with, and that they're kind of your go-to people um, whenever, whenever we pervert uh, grace. Because these people, they, they want us to have a healthy, thriving relationship with Jesus, right? So number three, number three, God's grace frees us to repent of sin. 
God's grace frees us to repent of sin. Guys, we, we need to turn away. Like we can't, we can't confess with plans to sin again. We have to repent. We have to turn away from sin. It's because we can't confess with plans to go sin again. So what do some of us need to do in light of that? What do some of us need to do? Well, some of us, some of us probably need to stop hanging out with some of the people that we hang out with, right? A, a way to repent, depending on your situation, is that some of us probably just need to stop hanging out with some of the people that we're hanging out with. And some of us, some of us need to go to the place, stop going to the places that we know that every time we go, we're going to end up sinning, right? So uh, a catchy way to think through that is some of us just need to change our playmates and change our playgrounds, right? Part of, part of repenting uh, for some of us is that we just need to change our playmates and change our playgrounds, right? So, and for some of us, do some of us need to get into a life group? Like as we're changing our playground, maybe a new playground that we want to play in, is it a life group? Absolutely. Yes, 100%. Yeah, like you, you, we should be in life group, right? Um, you know, do, do some of us, as we're trying to change some of our playmates, do some of us just need to make new friends? So maybe a way to do that is to attend weekly. I'm here at life group here in our, in our midweek gathering, right, on, on Sunday morning, like, yeah, clear your schedule. <laughs> like, your relationship with Jesus is worth it. And number four, God's grace frees us to trust Jesus as our master and Lord. God's grace frees us to trust Jesus as our master and Lord. Because we, we recognize that we deserve punishment and death. But Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll do it. Like, I'll take your place, right? Because if we know that we're sinful, we know that sin deserves punishment. We know that sin deserves death, right? And we just, we accept that fate. But Jesus says, no, I got it. This is, this is on me. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take your punishment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take their punishment. I'm going to die in your place. And we say, but Jesus, Jesus, you're the only sinless person. You're the only person that doesn't deserve death. Jesus, you're the only person that lived a perfect, sinless life. You're the only person that doesn't deserve punishment. Jesus, you're the only person that doesn't deserve to die. And Jesus says, no. I love you, so I'm going to take your place. I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve. I'm going, to be, I'm going to die for you, right? I'm going to die for you, right? And Jesus says, I know. I know I'm the only sinless person, and that's why I'm the only person who can die this death to pay for the sins of the world. Jesus is the only sinless person. He is the only person that could die to atone for the sins of the world, right? And God, God killed our sin by killing his son Jesus in our place. God killed our sin by killing his son Jesus in our place. <clears throat> and like that, our sin died. Like that. Because Jesus died. And at the moment of the cross, at the moment of the cross, when Jesus died, he allowed all sin and all death and all evil to completely consume him. 
on the moment, at the moment of the cross, Jesus said, all right, hell, all right, evil, all right, sin, do your best. Give me your best shot. And Jesus consumed it on the cross where he just consumed all of the evil and all of the sin, all of our sin that's in this world, right? But the story doesn't stop there because three days later, he rose again. And we're going to get to celebrate that here at length in a few weeks. Three days later, he rose again when Jesus conquered sin and death in the world. See, because the only, the only real power that sin has is death. But Jesus conquered death and brought about a new resurrected life. I'll say it like this. Jesus died the death he didn't deserve so we could live the life that we don't deserve. Jesus died the death that he didn't deserve so we could live the life we don't deserve. Jesus says, guys, by my blood, you are made clean. By my blood, you are made clean. Because of my death, you have new life. You do, right? So, and God, God knew that, this, that sin was going to happen. God knew the destruction that it would cause. He knew that he was going to create a people that was going to rebel against him, that was going to sin against him, that were going to harm themselves, harm each other, screw up his good world. And he created us anyway. God created us anyway. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Think, think of the worst thing that you've ever done in your life. Think of the most heinous act that, that we've ever committed. Let's all do this. Jesus saw you, saw us in that moment and still took our punishment in that moment. Jesus saw us in our most heinous sinful act and he still died for us saying that, yeah, I know, I know what's going on, but I still love them. I still love them. I'm going to take their place. The punishment and death that they deserve, I'm going to take it so that they may live. All right? So Martin Luther, Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. The great exchange. Our sin for Jesus' righteousness. His death for our life. The great exchange. By his grace, we are saved, right? God's grace sets us free from sin, not free to sin. So, and I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with a story. I'll close with a story. So there was a, there was a guy, there was a guy named John, right? And, and John, uh, John had a, had a mom that, that loved Jesus, right? And, and taught him the Bible at an early age. Uh, and then uh, at, the, at the age of seven, uh, John's mom died of tuberculosis, right? But, but up until her death, she had filled John with hymns and scripture. Then at the age of 11, uh, John went to work with his dad um, on a ship with the merchant Navy captain. John, John lost his first job because of his unsettled behavior, Right? So, like, among other things, uh, John had a sailor mouth, and his sailor's mouth made the other sailors feel bashful, right? That's kind of, that's who, that's who John was, right? So he, he spent his later teen years at sea until he rebelled against the discipline of the Royal Navy, and then, and then he deserted. So he, he was eventually caught, he was chained up, and he was flogged because of his disobedience, right? 
He somehow was able to convince his superiors to discharge him to a slave ship, right? So John moved from uh, the Royal Navy and is now working on a slave ship. And on this slave ship, he remained arrogant and unruly, proud of his sin, right? Especially whenever he was able to get other people to live immorally just like him, right? He sold slaves for a profit and he enjoyed it right? He was a slave trader. He enjoyed slave trading. Like his his behavior, however, like it didn't, it didn't go well for him. And eventually his crew got really upset with him and they stranded him in Africa, (laughs) right? Because that's what you do whenever you upset your crew is they're going to strand you in Africa. So (sighs) while in Africa, he had to be served food by the very slaves that he intended to sell, lest he starve. While he was in Africa, the very slaves that he intended to sell, those were the very ones that were giving him food and keeping him alive. So eventually, uh, John was rescued by another sea captain. And while on the way home, the ship encountered a huge storm. And in the midst of the storm, John remembered his Christian upbringing, right? And he happened to be reading a book, a Christian book, where a line just stuck with him. He remembered his upbringing, right? And he, he had this moment of crisis. And in his moment of crisis, he decided and kind of realized that, you know what? I just, this God that I've been rebelling against, like I need to, I need to start figuring this Christian thing out. And as he did that, he still continued serving on slave ships. As he was starting his Christian walk, he still continued working on slave ships right? Because he was hoping to promote Christianity to his crew and the slaves. So eventually, like he got older and he left sea uh, for a land job, still working uh, for the slave company. Um, so, but he's a Christian now and he, he wants to study the Bible. So he starts leading these Bible studies in his home. And as, as he's doing this, as he's studying scripture, he realized that he had been living a life perverting grace, right? Because as he was a Christian and still working on these slave ships, he realized that he had been perverting grace because would we not all agree that slave trade is very sinful and evil? Yeah. So, so he became convicted, right? And he quit the slave business and a few years later, he started a Thursday evening prayer service, right? And in this Thursday evening prayer service, he would write songs for the service, right? And a lot of hymns. And one of the hymns that he wrote has ended up becoming arguably the most famous song in the English language. Maybe you've heard of it. It goes like this. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see amazing grace. So we're going to, the band's up. We're going to, we're going to sing and we're going to respond. So my encouragement to you guys is, man, how how are we going to respond to God's grace? How are we going to respond to this free gift of grace that God gives us, right? Are we going to, are we going to be 
free to sin and do whatever we want and pervert grace? Or are we going to be free from sin and live our lives following Jesus, having victory over sin because of Jesus' death on the cross? So we're going to have our prayer team up here. If you want to pray with people, if you want to respond, guys, we are here to pray with you. Let me pray.